All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The guy here that... that caused Kevin Hayes a problem? You? Are you kidding me? Do you think Kevin Hayes is going to do something like that? It, it just it pisses me off that, that you guys throw that around and affect someone's life. Kevin Hayes and I had a problem. We couldn't come to an agreement how to play. That's a good man. That's a good man. Welcome back to the Department of Discipline. Here we are in January. You know, dull days, dog days of the season. No, 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 no. A blockbuster trade this week, Jay. My goodness, the World Juniors have wrapped a while ago. There's one common thread. We have a special guest on today's show. Luke Gazdick will join the program uh, as we approach the midpoint of the show. And we have another fight of the week. It's a, it's a slam-packed good one. Uh, are you, have you got a little snuffle going? Are you under the weather? Are we okay here? Are we playing hard? I woke up with a little something this morning, but uh, I think it makes me sound manly, so I'm okay <laughs> with it. You can sell whiskey uh. in Japan now. Uh, let's get right to the uh, the news of the week, which is a blockbuster trade of which the type you almost never see in the National Hockey League, and that is young star potential prospects trading organizations. Cutter Gauthier, the fifth overall pick from a few summers ago of the Philadelphia Flyers, who was a star at the World Juniors in Sweden just weeks ago, has been traded from Philadelphia to the Anaheim Ducks in exchange for another very high pick, defenseman Jamie Drysdale, who had a sensational first NHL campaign, has been battling some injuries since. Also a second rounder, not this summer, but next summer from Anaheim going to Philadelphia. This is a monster deal, Jay, but it's not just that it's a monster deal. This has got Melrose Place, Beverly Hills 90210 written. Oh, this is some dramatic stuff. Is Cutter Goche 
essentially stopped talking to the Flyers not long after being picked by the Flyers and didn't want to be a Flyer. This is, I feel a old man yells at Cloud Rant coming from Jay about these <laughs> damn kids and these millennials and back in my day, but I kind of feel like I'm with you if you're going that way. Well, it's it's different, man. I mean, it's not the first time someone's wanted to move on from the organization and something behind the scenes that people don't really know about or hear about and, oh, it didn't work out. But the way it's transpired and the information that's come out after the fact, it's not a good look for this Goche fella. And uh, to mess around with an organization, I think the Flyers are probably the last one you'd want to do that to. So nothing but balls from this kid, that's for sure. Okay, so let's uh, set the groundwork a little more. Uh, U.S. National Development Team program, great player. Playing in Boston at university, really good season. World juniors, alternate captain. And a guy that whose dad played professionally in Sweden. He's not Swedish per se. Is he's the son of a Canadian guy that played pro hockey in the states. Goes over to the second division in Sweden. Plays the last bit of his career there. Cutter, who we're talking about, is born in Sweden. Then comes back. They live in the states. His favorite team is the Pittsburgh Penguins. And heading into the draft, there was a thought like, hmm, Pittsburgh guy. Philly's going to be picking in there. Wonder if he'd be okay with that. The Flyers chatted with Goche ahead of the draft, and he said, "I want to be a Flyer." Uh, he also had to do the awkward post-draft interviews where I want to be a flyer. Who's your favorite player? Sidney Crosby. Uh, and, and look, this is being a fan and becoming a pro are two very different things. That's fine. Where it got weird was months later, apparently. Now we hear that uh, Goche's camp cut off communication with the Flyers to the point where at this year's World Junior, the Flyers, who are obviously have a presence there scouting, sent a lot of their brain trust to try to communicate with Goche because they had felt that it, maybe Cutter doesn't want to be a flyer and like maybe we could chat with him. This young player at the World Juniors who is focusing on a tournament did not have the time to meet with Danny Briere, uh, a player I believe with over a thousand games, a player with a heck of a resume, the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, like one of the great players of our lives uh, would, would not give him the time to meet, which set up this whole trade. Just, I find that hard to believe. And, and you didn't come up as a, top five in the draft player, but the way you treat humans, whether you're good at hockey or not, I think has a higher standard than what we saw. Yeah, it's a bad look. It just screams entitlement. It screams arrogance. Uh, it screams all those things you don't want to put under your name before you've stepped foot on the NHL. Mm -hmm. And now this guy, he's marked himself. It's a tough look for him. I mean, not just to say, I'm so good for a hundred years, people have been drafted to a team. You sign with that team. You, you try to help the team, make the most of the team. You try to win with the team, right? Okay. Sometimes guys are good enough where, you know, they can, you know, want to go here or there and everybody wants them. And that's a bit of a luxury, but to be a 19 year old kid hasn't stepped foot in the league yet. And then to string along the Philadelphia Flyers the way he did by saying, I want to be a flyer, I want to be this. Nothing's changed that drastically in the Flyers organization since that happened. And then to be like, boom, hey, by the way, I want to trade. Lights off, shades on. Don't talk to me till it happens again. Like, who the hell are you? Like, who do you think you are? There's a lot of fifth overall picks over there, but you're not, you're not that special. Every year, there's a fifth overall pick, and there's a fourth and a third and a second and a first. You think you're that special? You can just treat everyone like shit, especially the Philadelphia Flyers. Do you know who's in that organization? It is the old boys club. 
They keep their boys around from back in the Broad Street Bullies yeah. days. Their fans are brash, blue-collar people who have a ton of pride. And this guy's just marked himself. I mean, now that the trade's gone through and people are hearing about it, I keep seeing like, oh man, the Flyers are sure hard on this kid. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they probably want to strangle this little shit. Big time. And a very good player. But but again, to your point, like not generational. This isn't Connor McDavid not going to Edmonton. This isn't Eric Lindros not going to Quebec where at least whether it's real or not, you have the excuse about culture. You have the excuse about you know, a language barrier, whether that's real or not. This is a guy that his favorite teams in the state of Pennsylvania just happen to be not the Flyers. And I don't think I ever thought I'd, you'd see an American saying no to playing in Philly. Like, you want to talk about a fan base that loves its team? Philly and all its team sports is that. But it's not like you're going somewhere where you'll, where you'll be irrelevant. Or you're like, you know, it's just, it's Winnipeg, whatever. Like, not to take a shot at Winnipeg, but it's probably the worst weather in the league. Or, you know, Minnesota, it's not my thing. I'm a big city guy. He's never played in the league. I, I never thought I'd see a highly touted American not want to go to Philly where you know they love the, that is a great American hockey market. And the other thing is he he can't even give them the courtesy of explaining his reasoning or yeah. why he just goes dark on mm -hmm. them, which is super disrespectful. And, and how about just the courtesy of, I mean, we just blew a draft, a really high draft pick on you. Yeah. You told us you wanted to be here. We have all the pieces in place. We have big plans that revolve around you yeah, to an extent you're supposed to be a foundational piece when you're taken at five they had plans for him to be that and the bad news is he's not the good news is they might have a different foundational piece that they got back in trade in in jamie drysdale but yeah like you're absolutely a massive part of the future of the club when you're taking a five and when you don't even tell them why it's just such an arrogant piece like do you just have you heard horror stories about john tortorella and you just refuse to play for him like what is it i can't put my finger on why you wouldn't want to play like you said there's lots of other places in the league where a guy would go, there's not a chance I'm going there. Philly's certainly not one of them. They're they're on the up and up. They got a nice little core. I mean, John Tortorella, he's he's actually a very honest, very fair guy who does care about people. So I can't see it being that. But not even giving Danny Briere and the rest of the Flyers the courtesy of, here's my reasoning. And I mean, let's just say he went about it the right way and was like, listen, I don't even know what your reason would be, but spin some bullshit story. But I really, you know, wanted this and things have changed in my mind and just make some bullshit story up. And then it's like, well, we'll try to move you out, kid. That's kind of weird. You'd, you know, we'd roll our eyes. It'd be a quick little story and then it would be done. But now this kid is marked. And yeah. believe me, until he makes some serious damage in the NHL as a player, this is going to be what everyone knows him for, for a considerable amount of time. And maybe permanently if he doesn't pan out. Well, and I'll say this, like it won't ever be gone. Like Adam Fox is a New York Ranger that seems to be getting Norris votes every year and is a hell of a find for the Rangers via Carolina. But he was a Flames draft pick in Calgary. He still gets booed every time he touches the puck. Every shift, once a year when the Rangers are here, he gets booed when he touches the puck. <laughs> like, but Philly, like good luck getting through the parking lot, bud. Like Boy, good luck at your hotel. Good luck someone's forever. not throwing batteries at you. Like this is next level. Thinking about this over the last 24 hours is like, I don't know that right now I would say when the schedule comes out, there's a game I want to go to more than the Ducks rolling through Philly. Because think of the atmosphere, think of the vitriol amongst the Flyers fans, and you also think about the other side. Like, Pat Verbeek runs the Ducks, and I think there are some teams that might let him have the, the Broad Street flu or whatever. <laughs> Pat Verbeek's not that guy. No. And that's who's running that Ducks organization. Like, it is, you know earn it tough blue collar win at all, all costs. Like this is, this is a man's man. That's the GM of the ducks. You're not hiding this kid. I think right now 
I don't think I can name a better game that, that I want to go to next year. Throw rivalries away. The incredible atmosphere on a normal game in Philly. Like we've seen some doozies already on this show when we saw Florida roll through and some, you know, there's been some really physical games there, fights against the Rangers, I think. Was it uh was it Black Friday or the the Thanksgiving Day there was an epic? But this is now for me a massive storyline. I can't wait to see what happens to this kid when he's there. And look, the Flyers are the Flyers again. They got Hathaway, they got Sealer, they've got Nick Delore. Like there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to look to like absolutely unload on this kid. Just every hit's going to be finished. Every scrum, there's going to be a guy in his ear. Mm-hmm. This guy's not going to be happy when he's playing in there. And if he pulls the shoot and has the flu, he can't hide forever, man. No, like and that. I don't think he'll let it. Oh, like God. Pat Rubik's not letting one of his kids I, do I would that. hope not. Go in there and take your lumps. You put yourself in this yes. position. But yeah. my thing is like, what precedent does this at now? Like to these younger generation, we know they're different than the guy from 25 years ago. Yeah. They think differently. They operate differently. They handle themselves differently. They act differently. Differently. But this kid to just be in that position to be like, not playing for you. Let me know when it's over. <laughs> oh, I'm Danny Briere. I run the goddamn team. Can we sit down for a coffee and talk about it? Nope. Like the arrogance on this kid. So it, are other kids going to come up? And because when you get drafted, that's where you go. And no matter what their pipeline is, no matter what their prospect pool is, that's who you're, you're battling. And I always kind of uh, look towards some of those free agents coming out of college who are late bloomers and blossomed very, very much in college. They get closer to free agency. They, sure. ch- they can kind of scan and then there becomes a bidding war for them. Their agents are scanning their pipeline, scanning their roster, looking at their depth. Where is the best opportunity for this guy to flourish? And you can kind of take your pick coming out of college. And and that's, that's a super big benefit from a late bloomer going to college. So does this guy now think, well, I'm an absolute stud just because I got drafted it doesn't mean I have to play for this team. Well, I'm going to go say X, Y, Z. Are other kids going to come and be like, yeah, they drafted me, but I'm not playing for you. Are they all going to pull a Lindros? Like, I'll, is this I'll the tell new you thing? What, they're watching how it's received because <laughs> these kids are a lot of things, but they're not dumb and they're not ill-informed. I so you watch what happens to Cutter Goche. And I think people will say like, man, that was dumb. I'm never doing that. Or you know what? He kind of got off easy. Uh, he got to where he wanted to go. Potentially. Maybe he didn't like, I, I think they're taking notes. I don't think this means it'll happen more especially if the guy gets absolutely battered in Philly. And, you know, if the first five years, everywhere he goes, he gets heckled in the league. They're smart guys. They're, I think the, the difference between players 25 years ago and now to me is that these guys view themselves as independent contractors a lot more. And I think the older generation would probably have done better to view things a little more like an independent contractor. And I also think the new generation also would have a lot to gain to think more about team and less about, well, my agent, when I was 12 said this, which is, you know, a thing it's ridiculous, Yeah, but they're watching. Oh yeah. And then they'll see what happens. And yeah. I mean, time will tell. Imagine you're Pat Verbeek and you get a call and it's Briere and it's like, Hey, this is what's going on. No one knows about it, but you know, can you, we're not putting it out there. Like this kid just did a huge flip flop on us. We don't know what the hell's going on. We're worried that he might come back and be like, no, it's all good now. Like imagine being the front office going, what the hell's wrong with this kid again? Like, who is this guy? What is he doing? We've never seen this before. Yeah. So he's like, uh, can we make some kind of a deal? Then Verbeek's like, well, I'll give you a second and Drysdale. I mean, that's a, you're getting a lot back from Philly. Like they, they got off good. They could have been hamstrung. Everyone else could have had a lot of leverage. This kid's not playing. It's a big media storm. Holy shit. Um, Let this kid go and get whatever we can get back. They got a lot back. Yeah, they did well. But if you're Verbeek, are you going, 
what's with this kid? Yeah. What's where's his character at? I know when those guys get these so, young kids, they're all about character. What's the, how does this kid think? How, what makes him tick? Who's he got behind him behind the scenes? And there's a big question mark there right now, and maybe even a little bit of a red flag. I think what this is is skill. At the end of the day. I think Drysdale can be a phenomenal player. I, I think there might be a higher ceiling on Goche, which is why they add to the pot. And, and the context is important that in Anaheim, last year they had the defenseman of the year in the O, the Q, and the Western League. All three Canadian Hockey Leagues uh, for Major Junior. Mm. They had the D-man of the year, including this uh, Pavel Mintukov or whatever. I'm probably saying his name wrong. He's up this year. They got D coming. Drysdale didn't play a lot of games. It was a really difficult negotiation on the deal he's on now because – Verbeek basically said, yeah, you don't play. You don't have any leverage here. Like, take it or leave it on a deal that for a kid that was a half point per game as a teenager, you're like, shit, that's that's not the eight times whatever that we saw some other guys get on their second deals. So Anaheim's got a backlog at D. That makes Drysdale more expendable than he would be on probably any other organization in the NHL. And Philly's saying, like, we got to keep this quiet so that this market doesn't crater for this kid and we can get something back. Then you throw in a second rounder. Ducks aren't there yet. That could be almost a first rounder good next uh-huh. year, right? And it's like both teams did a really good job of improving. Philly had a guy that didn't want to be there, and they go out of defense when they can play tomorrow, right, in theory. The Ducks say, man, we got a ton of D. I don't think they're in love with Zegers there. And so it's like, okay, we bring this guy in. We've got McTavish. We just drafted Leo Carlson. I think the net were in the positive because of how we line up organizationally. And yeah, we'll see the character thing. Maybe this is a one-off. Like when you look back at Eric Lindros, is there a character issue? Or was it like that wasn't a fit in Quebec and boy, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do there, but it's not a character <clears throat> issue. No, I don't think it was. I think it's some behind the scenes type of stuff that didn't come out personal stuff. Just, I don't think it was a, I'm a spoiled little brat and I'm going to decide where I go. And at the time he was being called that. Don't get it wrong. Especially around Quebec. You want to talk about like kids these days? Like he was the first, he was one overall and didn't show up. That never, never happened back then, but he's Eric Lindros and he goes on to be Eric Lindros in Philadelphia and, and the career that he had that happened to be cut short, but he overcame that. But like you said, it always followed him around. Yeah, Remember the draft. Remember him holding his jersey in his hand instead of putting it on. You know, that type of thing was uh, stuck with him for a while. And it, it will with this kid too. I just, again, it's not the end of the world. Like, I can't think of what his reasons would be enough to be like, yes, draft me. And then six months later, be like, I'm not playing for you. Give them a little bit of a sign before the draft that are just like, you know, I'm not sure Philly's a good fit for me. I've looked at and they're like, holy shit, this guy's saying this already. Maybe we better reevaluate and not draft him. Yeah. Fine. Do that or else, you know, go about it the right way and be like, whatever your reasons are and be open and honest and talk to everybody and be like, I'm really apologetic about this, but this is just how strongly I feel about it. Okay. Well, Holy smokes, I guess we got some work to do here. Thanks for telling us. And you know, it doesn't become this shit storm while you're here and okay, we got some work to do. We're going to go find a buyer for you. No, it's, and I'm not meeting, I'm, I'm not talking about it again. That's the icing on the cake to me that the character, big question mark, who's in this kid's ear? What are his reasonings? Who the fuck does he think he is yeah. that he can do this to the Philadelphia Flyers and Danny Briere and all the boys that are in the back office there? It's a bad look. And like you said, it's going to take a long time for him to overcome it, especially in Philly for the rest of his life. Yeah, he right. touches the puck in Philly. Yeah, Philly. It's Boo City forever. So we already talked about wanting to go to Philly around Thanksgiving. We, now we're talking about Ducks. I feel like the first ever DOD road trip's coming up next <laughs> year. Wait, when's the schedule drop? Let's I'm ready. Go. I'm ready. I'd be all about that. Let's hear from the Flyers. First, uh, Danny Briere on what transpired, the timeline, how things came to be, 
And then some reaction from their head coach, John Tortorella, uh, also Keith Jones in the organization as well. I don't know Cutter from a hole in a wall. I'm not too interested in talking about him. I'd rather talk about Jamie. He's the guy that's coming here. Yeah, he didn't want to be a flyer. So we had to, you know, come up with a plan. And fortunately, we were able to execute on that plan. His value would never be higher than it was after the World Junior Championships. Um, it was only going to decrease if the word got out there. I feel bad for Cutter when he comes to, well, I don't really feel bad for Cutter when he comes to Philadelphia. It's going to be a rough ride here. It's going to be a rough ride here, and, and, he, and he earned it. Because you know what? We're Philadelphians, yes. yeah. and that's how we want people who want to be here with us. One thing I love about this whole situation was the Flyers went out of their way to say, we wanted to keep this quiet. We didn't want it for, to be tough for the kid if he switched his mind again to come back and play for the Flyers. But then as soon as the deal was done, I was like, oh, yeah, here's what was happening. Bleep this kid. Good yeah. luck coming into Philly. Because, <laughs> oh, sure. They could have been like, it's a hockey trade. We're not going to get into it. We, we love Drysdale. You know, we, we like the, what that pick could be. Why let him off with that? But exactly. It's like, if this kid's going to be a, get an arrogant shit that, like, won't even respond to an NHL GM's texts. Yeah, get real. Like, not signing here is one level. The next level is, like, I won't I meet that. with you. And then getting ghosted, you won't even reply to a guy. Like, that is some... So it's like, you know what? Yeah. And like, You're going to do that? Come get some. The whole NHL knows about this now. And everyone and their dog lit this kid up. I mean, Hartsey's on the thing. Jonesy's on all the yeah. media companies. Tortorella's. I don't know this kid from a hole in the wall. I'll talk about the, the, yeah. the other kid, which is true. He doesn't know this young prospect. That's not his job. Yeah. But imagine Briere takes the high road, doesn't sewer this kid. Everyone's like, what a weird time to make a yeah, trade. This yeah, is odd. Judged, okay, Drysdale, yeah. I guess. And then this, this maybe Drysdale's got injury problems forever, doesn't pan out. And Gauthier goes off and has a flourishing career. Everyone's like, you idiot, why yeah. would you make that deal? No, 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 this isn't on me. Yeah. This is this idiot pulled an absolute maniac move mm-hmm. and demanded XYZ and shut his phone off. Like, what the hell do you want me to do? And yeah, we're protecting the kid. Well, the kid's such a wild card. He's proven it now. What if he comes back and he's like, no, I reevaluated and I really want to be a flyer. They're going to look at each other and go, holy fuck. Like, thank goodness no one hears about this because it's just going to be a distraction and negativity around our whole organization. So they keep it quiet, rightfully so. Plus, if everyone knows they're in shambles with this kid, they're going to, you know, the leverage goes out the window. So good on Anaheim Ducks and the rest of the league for keeping it quiet. And then as soon as the deal's done, yeah, fuck this kid, man. I would have my back up too, the way he handled that. Uh, it's good stuff. And honestly, I really believe we'll look back at this thing and you probably need five years men because he's going to step in. And uh, Drysdale's already playing, obviously, despite missing some games with injury. But I, I think this is a deal you look back and it's like both those teams would do that again. Because I think it's just the needs of the teams fit. The timelines match a little better, too. Philly could use a guy that plays right now. They got Sean Walker as a UFA. Ducks aren't there yet. They can they can give this kid a year or two yeah. before he gets going. We'll see. Not boring. And, yeah, wait for the schedule drop. And, and Jay and I, uh, we're looking to meet up with you in Philly next year. That'll be a blast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's get to our guest. We have uh, from Sportsnet, former player, current analyst, Luke Gazdick joining us. Luke, how are you, buddy? Thanks for doing this. Good, fellas. How you doing? We, uh, we're getting into it. I got uh, old man Rose Hill, Hill shaking his fist at the cloud here. Uh, kids these days, but, but it's, it's not just that. I, I think he's right. I mean, we're talking about the Cutter Goche situation here. I, uh, th- there's some stones on this kid, Luke. Whoa. Yeah, seriously. You know, I always try not to fault the the kid too much, the player too much. I don't know this kid at all. Just like Torts said, don't know him from a hole in the wall, but I feel like a lot of these kids heavy influence from whoever's around them, whether it's agents or advisors or family. I feel like someone's in his corner influencing him in the wrong direction. I loved playing in Philly. I never actually played there, but I loved playing there on the road. I know the fans are can be hard on you, but Man, it made me pretty much retire. My last two years, I finished in the American League. I played in San Diego, especially the last year, I'll call it. Average age on our team was 21 and a half. And I couldn't believe the stones and the attitude that the kids had coming right into pro hockey. I couldn't believe it. I would shake my head all the time at the way they talked to other players on the team, uh, veterans on the team, the way they talked back to coaches. Like these are rookie kids, kids that had maybe 15, 20 professional games, not in the NHL, fresh out of college or whatever it was, turning around, talking back to a coach of 30 years on our bench. It honestly for, almost forced me to pretty much forced me to retire. I was like, I can't do this shit anymore. Like this is like, this is unreal. So I don't know. The kids do have a lot of stones, but generally, man, like I feel like these kids have just this whole team of people in their corner and. Maybe he's getting, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's getting influenced in the wrong direction. Yeah. And and you know what? We don't know what the driving force is. We just know that he dusted off Danny Breer. Like he was a door to door Bible salesman. Like that's, that's cold. <laughs> um, that's the craziest thing, man. I think like I heard he wouldn't talk to Patrick Sharp and John LeClaire. And like, I don't know what, what of all this is true, but like, Life's hard, man. You have to have some hard conversations. Pick up the effing phone yeah. and, you know, have a hard conversation. If, you know, if you're not interested in it, just be honest, man. That's the way I kind of mm-hmm. am. Um, hard conversations make hard people. And I, I don't have too much time for someone that even can't, can't even answer a phone call. Luke, I remember my last uh, year in the American League, same thing. I mean, I'm in my 30s and these kids are 20. And I was just shocked at how, like, how openly they'd speak about 
what they think of themselves, what they think about others, what they think about what the coach is saying. Like there's no filter. There's no like, we're in this together. It was a big me, me, me thing. So they they have the balls. And I'm like, man, when I walked into the American League at 20, I kept my mouth shut. I was scared. I was happy to be there. I wanted to learn about how things worked. I wanted people to think that, you know, I was on board with everything that was happening. And then on the flip side of that, when things don't go right, or they get a little bit of pushback or they get a little bit of jam. Oh my God, do they shut it down? They go into a shell there. I take my ball and go home. It's a bad look for these young guys. And it's not everybody. I can say that, but uh, it's stuff that I'd never seen before. It didn't push me to retirement, but it pushed me across the pond. I was like, I'm, I'm done with this style of thinking and playing in these teams that, uh, that are being built based on these, these different players with odd attitudes, man. It's quite shocking. Yeah. hundred percent. I remember I signed with Dallas out of, uh, out of Erie and junior in the OHL, I was 19 and uh, they didn't have an American league team at the time. So they sent me to Boise, Idaho, Idaho steelheads. And just from like talking to, you know, my dad and some, you know, players that I knew that played there, they're like, go there, soak it all in, be a sponge, you know, don't, don't talk too much. I didn't say a word for like three days until finally the guy that sat beside me in the dressing room, what was his name? Daryl Hay. He was our assistant captain. He gave me the little elbow one day. He goes, kid, do you talk? Do you, do you know what you speak English? And I just remember being like, yeah, I talk. He's like, oh, boys, he talks like and <laughs> Gazdick's not a Russian name. Yeah. OK, he's, he's, he's Canadian. I mean, like they, I don't know. He like he said after he's like, I thought you were European or something like I was like, no, man, I'm just like listening. I'm soaking it all in. I don't want to speak out of place. Like, I'm just going to come here, work my tail off and like gain the respect of the vets and the coaches. Like I'm in pro hockey for the first time and like. Then I'm 31 in San Diego and you got, and like you said, like I sat beside Sammy Stale, who plays for Dallas. Now he sat beside in the dressing room, unbelievable kid, quiet, worked his bag off. And then I'll just, I'll, I'll call him out, whatever. You got Max Jones sitting across the dressing room, who is just like an absolute mouthpiece, <laughs> like 10 o'clock practice, like skating on the ice at 10 03. And I'm like looking over and there's no discipline because you can't discipline them. Cause then it's like call straight to daddy or the agent. And like <laughs> these kids are coming on the ice three late, three minutes late for practice. I'm like, can you imagine? Like, can you so, imagine? And that was a time where Zegris is around. Bob Murray had that whole uh, Anaheim to San Diego up and down. Every day, guys were shuttling back and forth. There was a lot of good players that, like, Josh Mahura slipped through their fingers, Sam Steele's elsewhere. Yeah. Like, that was a weird time for the Ducks. They lost a lot of high end kids, and uh, it, it was very young. That, that was a very young, talented group, but to your point, immature. Yeah, we made the Western Conference Finals that year. Uh, I said we, I only played one game in the playoffs, played like five minutes, but we had Troy Terry, Sam Steele, Max Jones, Isaac Lundestrom, Simone Benoit, Josh Mahura. Like we were stacked with youth. And then we had some really good vets and like Adam Cracknell and Sammy Carrick and me. And um, it was a good time to be around, but kind of going back to the point, Rosie, you made I almost saw it even further where all the young kids kind of like bonded together too. It was very clicky. It was kind of like the young versus the old. And like, that was just the most bizarre thing for me where they would all hang out together. Like Saturdays after games, we'd win a couple days off, want to mix it up. The older guys would go somewhere and like all the young guys would go somewhere else. And yeah. it was just, I was just like, this is friggin' bizarre. It's man. A bad, bad it was really team cool. chemistry. Hey, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's probably why we didn't, I don't know. It's why we didn't win in the end, but they were mostly good kids. I think I'm making, uh, I'm getting a little heated now because there were a couple that were worse than others. Yeah. Like Josh Maher was awesome too, but I just had to shake my head sometimes. Okay. So how old were you guys when you got agents and was it normal early or late at the time you did it? 
I would have been probably normal time. Um, you start getting listed on central scouting. So that's your draft year. You're probably 17. Yeah. 17 years old. You start to Luke? look at that kind of thing. Yeah, I was 17. I didn't get one till after I got drafted. Because okay. to be honest, I think you'll hear this a lot. Um, maybe even from players like me and Rosie are players that played like us. Like I didn't expect to get drafted. I okay. wasn't on any central scouting list. I talked to two teams. I talked to the Islanders for a bit. And then like three days on the Wednesday before the draft, I talked to Dallas. So I didn't really think I was even getting drafted. And then when we did, my dad's like, hey, we should probably, you know, think about doing this. So I hired someone and until they said, we want to sign you, you probably yeah. don't even no. need them till then. You don't even need one then, you know? Luke, do you? Exactly. Not looking back at it. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so then to follow up on that, um, when you guys made your pro debuts, did phones have cameras on them? Yes or no? I think I still had a Blackberry. I'm pretty sure. I mean, <laughs> okay, that so you might have a yeah, camera, did, but not right? great. I had yeah, a flip phone. Not like an iPhone, like yep. nothing crazy. I remember crazy. Ryan O'Reilly, we played junior with, brought an iPhone into the room. It was the first time Ooh. I had seen one. I was like, I was and, like this is wild. This uh, thing is crazy. Okay. And then third thing, because I'm, I'm not trying to take guys off the hook, but I'm, I'm painting a different universe. And it, it kind of is for these kids. Third thing would be like, did you ever say, Hey, let's talk to the hotel concierge. We're on the road. Let's get a bunch of TVs and we can play video games tonight instead of going out. Cause that's like a thing now too. <laughs> no, no. I, I started that, to see guys. Uh, no, no. I mean, okay. they were just, they just went home and gamed all day. It wasn't really on the road. Like they, they kind of, I think our coach, I think it was like a team mandate, no vids on yeah, the road or okay. something. Cause, yeah. uh, but no guys would just go home and play 12 hours. Like they come to the rink in the morning, a bloodshot eyes. I'm like, dude, you Where'd go out you last go? night. He's like, no, I played COD till like five 30. I'm like, what? <sighs> Wild. So, and I ask all these questions for a reason. Like this is a different universe. These kids probably have agents somewhere between 12 and 14. They've got not only agents, they've got a specific trainer. They probably have someone talking nutrition. They might have someone sports psychology talking to them. How could you not operate like an independent contractor? You basically have been treated like one from the age of 14 on. You're, if, depending where you are in the world and what you're playing, there's recruiting involved. You have choices. You're not just born into a certain jersey. And now going out and bonding with the boys, it's not quite the same when it's like, yeah, we'll just bring the Stanley Cup to a strip club like Mark Messi. Like, no, you can't do that. Like, there's phones everywhere. So I'm not taking them off the hook. But these guys have entered a very different world than you guys did. And they're not that much younger. Like, you you played with these guys. It's odd, isn't it? For sure. And that's why I kind of brought up that point with Gauthier is like, I, I try not to blame the kid too much because there's just so much influence around him. It's this whole attitude has shifted now with these kids not I, bleeding into the NHL now, which is crazy. It's like, are we, it's not, a, are we good enough for this team? Is like, is this team good enough for us? Yes, you know, like, it, are, are they worthy of us? You yeah. know, or am I, am I going to grace them with saying yes? And like that whole attitude of just being grateful to like get drafted and have a team that's like, we are stoked to have you as like, it's falling apart. And I, that's why I think it's just, they have a whole team around them. They're in their ears since they were 13, 14, telling them about 
how good they are and this and that. So it, I certainly agree with you, man. It's, it's just a lot different mentality. And, and like you said, Luke, like someone told you, you had someone to say, Hey, when you go to camp, be a sponge, you know, listen to what's going on, figure out how things are done. You had someone. So you, you took that to heart, obviously, because mm-hmm. someone had to elbow you and say, Hey, you can speak up and you know, we can learn a little bit about you. These kids don't like to me, the thing I always say that I like a, a line that kind of explains the youth today. And it's not even a knock on the youth. It's a, on the parenting kids used to come home from school and they would say, the parents would say, were you good to your teacher today? Now they come home from school and they go, was your teacher good to you today? And it just sets this precedent of everything revolves around you. Like that kid probably goes to camp when he's young. And instead of saying, be a sponge and learn how things are done, they probably say, don't take any bullshit from anyone. Let everyone know you're the best. And you know, fucking make sure everyone's like stroking you off. Like that's probably the advice they have from these parents. And uh, I, I always attribute this bad behavior that when it comes up and it's not everybody, but this youth, when they make these mistakes that make us wonder like, what is going on? I'm pretty sure you can always follow the trail right back to the parents and the way this kid was raised and what he's been told his whole life. Yeah. I think there's just way less onus taken on the player himself. I, I witnessed that firsthand. If a kid wasn't on the power play, it's like, Oh, coach hates me. Coach, you know, he has it out for me when you just got to take a step back, go watch your shifts, go watch your last couple games. Like, have you been good enough to be playing top minutes? Maybe you haven't, you know, it's just always somebody else's fault. Okay. Uh, we got you on. Apparently you got a, a, an uncle Jay story for us. You got a Rosie tail. You got a bone to pick with Rosie. What's the story here, Luke, man. You know what? I love Rosie and I was talking with Amal and I said, you know what? I don't love holding grudges, but oh. I had, I carried oh. one with Rosie for a long time. Let it I'll out. never, I'll never forget this. So I'm not a huge, like, I don't want to say this poorly, but I'm not like honor the code fighting wise. Yeah. There's a whole kind of list of things that whatever, sometimes you follow them. Sometimes you don't, but we were in Philly one night. I was with Edmonton and we got into it in front of the net, me and Rosie. And honestly, he was one of the guys, Jay, you were one of the guys that I, I really didn't want like a part of like, I, it's just big, tall lefty. I'm like, man, this guy, everyone thinks you're lefty. eh? (laughs) Well, likes that can throw both ways. I'll say that way. Um, but there were just like a couple guys at the top of the list or Orzy, Gratz, you, I put there. And so we both got, um, incidental coincidental minors and we went to the box and right away you looked over and you said, as soon as we get out of these boxes, we're going right here, center ice. And I was like, all right, here we go. And for a player that has fought before and knows anything about that, those are the longest two minutes of your life right there. I'm just like counting down the seconds and we get out there, but the play was in the D zone. So I started like kind of gravitating towards there, but you grab me. And so we start going and going and I had some real shoulder problems this shoulder popped out into the stratosphere. So I'm standing there going like this and I'm literally, you had switched to your left and I'm trying to throw it back in place. And I'm yelling, Rosie, my shoulder, shoulders out my shoulder. And man, you hit me with probably five or six lefts straight to the dome in front of there in right in front of our bench. It was probably the only fight that year that I like looked like, and probably did like lose like, that and at like i'm right in front of the team but i just remember screaming at you rosie my shoulder ah and you just kept hitting me left left and then the refs come in and i was just like at you i was like you kidding me like all this and i start. i tried to go back to the to the penalty box but my thing's still out so i did a big 180 and just went back into the tunnel i ended up missing like the next couple months torn labrum by shen good work there now fighting center is rose hill 
And Gazdick will have at it. They couldn't go before, but they are now. Some left hands from Rose Hill. And they circle each other, swing each other around. A right hand from Rose Hill. His helmet is, as you can see, still on. Rose Hill is cut, we believe, as they get wrapped up over by the Oilers bench. Rose Hill is doing a lot of throwing the punches to be cut. I don't know where he got cut in there if he did. I don't see any blood. But I just remember like asking you to let up and just like getting pummeled with laughs. He probably thought you were European. You didn't speak English. He's yelling Russian at me. I don't know. This I didn't talk? know if you like, I didn't even, I didn't know if you remember that or like saw it differently or anything about that. I remember the night I got to apologize for that. I, I didn't realize what was going on, but I do remember there was a little scrum and I, I don't know if he asked me to go, but it like we're, we're nose to nose kind of getting into it. And for whatever reason, I was just like, it's it's not like no no it's like I wasn't into it. We took coincidence like you said, and then I'm going to the box. I'm looking at the time, looking at the score, or whatever. I'm going fuck. I, I should have gone right there. And I'm like, Lukey, we're going on the way out. And yeah, long for me too. I'm sitting there going, oh, like oh, don't have a whistle. And then oh, you're waiting to get out of the the penalty box. And we go out, and I'm like, let's get this over with right away. I went and watched the fight ten minutes before we got on air actually. And I me- at the end, I remember I'm like, oh yeah, when he. Because when you're leaving the ice, you're hanging your shoulder. And I remember looking over going, when the fuck did that happen? And I was watching myself during the fight and my hair is everywhere. My shit's all over the place. You're throwing good for having your shoulder pop out because I'm kind of all over the place. We're all over the place. And I, I swear to you, I didn't hear. I didn't know where I would have just locked up and been like, what happened? But I remember when we finally got split. I look over and you did a 180 just dragging your arm basically yeah. on the ice. And I thought, well, when the fuck did that happen? So, yeah, can't say I heard you, man. I would have uh, I would have done the right thing, but I apologize. I'm sorry I had to carry that weight for so long. Oh, it's <laughs> all good. And you know what, man? Like, I figured it was one of two things. I'm like, he either heard me and he's just a complete dick. And I'm like, there's a very small chance of that happening. Uh, or he pretty much flat out didn't hear me. It's loud in Philly. We're right in front of the benches. But I was literally like, windmilling my shoulder over trying to pop it back into its socket so that i could continue on and it just no i figured as much and obviously i don't hold too many grudges like that it's all uh well good for that being your worst tilt uh it sure looked like pretty much a draw to me so you did just fine man and yeah tough i was going left too because that's probably the hard way to hold on when you got your banged up shoulder hanging out of socket so what uh apologies when you guys are in the heat of it, does it ever feel like slow motion or does it feel like you're, you know, upside down going backwards on a roller coaster? Like you just talked about it, like the hair is flying, you're getting thrown a bunch of different directions. Some you may or may not be anticipating. Like how, how did a fight go for you typically, Luke, or was it every beast different? It was wild, man. The more I fought and the more experience I got, it just became like a dance and I would, I would get into this rhythm and I never really switched to my lefts until I really got comfortable with it. My right was so strong. A, a former tough guy, Rocky Thompson, who coached me at Edmonton, was like, when people switch to their left, why would you go to your weak hand? Just stay on your right and just throw. Like, you just continue. And when you go left, right, like, if I had done that with Rosie, it's almost it's just like rhythm. And, like, I, anyone that watched me or, like, pre-scouted my fights, like, I worked all on counters. Like I would wait for it to go and then time my counter punch. And I knew just like I, I knew the second I threw an upper, 
I'd, I'd wait, I'd wait for their hand to come across and time my hips and come right across. It was just like a slow dance, man. The first like 10 seconds was like, okay, get your breath. I wasn't like really aggressive off starts of fights. That's probably one thing that I tried not to do where other guys will grab you and throw a hundred times a minute right off the bat. Like I'm like, okay, get your hand, get your grip, get your feet. And then I kind of like felt it out from there. Because yes. you're a little different than that. You love leading less and you you love the quick start rather than waiting around. You said you hated when a, a rink would go nuts and then people wait for 30 seconds as these guys shadow box or like hang on. Yeah, no, to me it was uh, once you're in a fight, once those gloves drop and I mean you can hear the sticks hitting the ice, you know, it's a very like you can hear it behind you and you turn around like someone's going, right? And when that sound hit and the whistle blows and the crowd goes up, I just start unloading and I'm just breathing as hard as I can, just like desperately throwing as hard as I can. I can't hear. I mean, I remember a time I was fighting and I was the second fight and our captain's yelling, Rosie, stop, stop. Like don't fight because you're going to get suspended. And I remember just being like, I didn't hear you, man. I was chin down, unloading, like unloading my life for, for everything I could have. I wasn't a technical guy where I'm going to feel this out and wait. Cause I had to strike while the iron was hot, while my, while my adrenaline went through the roof. And that's probably why I didn't know what was going on with, with your scrap. But I, I just felt like if you take time to think or whatever, you could get caught, you could get tagged or the fight's going to be over and you didn't get a chance to show your best stuff. I, I was always terrified of not being able to unload everything I had and the fight being over and me just having that awful feeling of like wasting one or not getting everything out of it that you could have. hundred percent. And I think that's such a good argument, especially for someone as big and tall and strong as you, the, that really reminds me of another guy, Patrick Bordalo. I don't know oh, if you've huge. ever fought Bordalo. Fuck, did he but Bordy hard. was about six, seven and his arms were honestly, he probably had about 10 inches on my arms and he, his strategy was same thing. He'd grab you and throw as hard and as fast as he could for about 10 seconds. And if you could make it through that 10, his stamina just went down mm-hmm. and it was just like, that is truly where I kind of learned that style. I fought him. He was in Lake Erie. I was in I Texas. I was just going to say, I saw years. you in Texas. I was working for Abbotsford and Borlo was at Lake Erie at the time. He was huge. I was like, how in the oh. world does anyone scrap this guy? I know. I just went back. I watched the scraps and I'm like, man, nobody lasts more than about 10, 15 seconds with this guy. So that's kind of where I started to learn that style against guys that were bigger than me, where it was I was like, okay, get a hold. If I can just kind of make it, get my feet spinning, and then it's time for me to turn it on. But in saying that too, like about not hearing it, it's just, it's so bizarre trying to explain people that have never been through it. Like yeah. how, how silent it goes when it's so loud. It's, it's so just weird. like, there's music playing, the fans going nuts every now and then. If you catch a, a big punch or get punched, you'll kind of, I would kind of hear some fan cr- like, like crowd feel noises. The energy go up and the roar, yeah. but it's just like this muffled. Roar, exactly. Like, but crazy. for the most part, it's just like, it, you're just in the zone, man. It's it's so hard to explain. Yeah, I always said after a fight, when you're going to the box or the the dressing room or the penalty box, it's like these two opposites of like absolute adrenaline spike and then absolute exhaustion. And these two things don't usually go together all that time unless something insane has happened. And I literally am like, it's like getting in a car crash. Like you can't lift your arms, but you're so jacked up. You just want to tear the fucking wall down, but you're, it's just the wildest thing in the world. And I've never been able to replicate that in anything else in that I've done in my life. It's just that when you get into that hockey scrap and you do it over and over again, you get to take time to analyze it and let it sink in. And fuck, was it a, a wild thing to go through? 
you have a favorite fight or or a particular one that stood out to you, Luke? Aside from guys not listening to you and they said their shoulders out. <laughs> uh, it was probably that same year, man. I went on an absolute tear my rookie year in the NHL. Uh, I just remember I got picked up on waivers from Dallas, and just remember having the mindset that I was going to scrap every single guy I could until. They gave me a one way. I was like, I am. I played four years in the minors. I'm like, I am not going back there. I'm sorry. So I just started scrapping and I started, you know, literally like knocking guys out one at a time. And um, a big Boston came to town. Luchich was there. Chara was there. And I just remember thinking, this is a night like this is a night where I kind of separate myself from being the new young tough guy to like, I, I kind of belong here. And I'll just, I'll tell quick, we, we went down three, I think it was three, one and we're at home. So we do mat we match lines. Right. And they sent out a Ginla, Krejci, Lucic, McQuaid, Chara. <laughs> and my coach Dallas, Eakins just goes, guys, you guys are up. And I kind of just looked back and he looked me in the eye. I was just like, don't have to tell me let's go. So I just remember thinking like, whoever I get close to here, I'm going to end up, I'm, I'm going to ask to go and four checked in. It went from McQuaid to Chara. So I four checked that way. got, passed up the yellow to Luch and I was like, Oh man, here we go. And hit him in front of, uh, in front of the hash mark offensive zone left side. And I just stood in front of him. I wouldn't let him skate up the ice. I was like, Luchich knows the Gazdick's check is coming. Krug has returned to the ice after butt ending himself inadvertently. Like you're not moving past me. I called him a couple of choice words, but I was like, we're going. That's news. Here's Luchich unloading big shots on Gazdick. Gazdick connects with a big right. Luchich pounding away. Goes body, comes upstairs. Gazdick with a jab, misses high. Luchich tags him again. Luchich is starting to rage. Now he tears off the helmet and just casts it aside. Gazdick tries to go uppercut. Oh, and he catches Luchich with a big right hook. Goes under. Luchich trades. Stuns Gazdick. Luchich absorbs a big blow. Now wrestles him. Gets him in the headlock. Wants the uppercut. And the linesmen step in. What a bow. That was a very similar situation I was talking about. Rosie was like, he came out hot. And I was like, okay, like, catch your breath here. You're all right. You're all right. He reached over, grabbed the back of my 4,500 power bucket and threw it down the ice. And I just remember thinking, I'm in one here. But I just kind of held in there and I get, I gave him the old upper over once. He went off his feet and then I did the again. I hit him as hard as I can hit a human being. And he went back, kind of fell back on his feet and... I'd never heard Rexall go that loud in Edmonton. It was like we had scored a game-winning goal in overtime. Edmonton's about 6'3", 240, Jack. And uh, it was perfectly like you said, the, this mix of adrenaline but complete, pure, utter exhaustion. But I just remember like sitting in the box there after and like the crowd was still on its feet and I was just like, man, this is kind of like a mama I made it moment. Like... I can, I can, I could do this, you kind know. Addicting, isn't it? I don't know how many guys can say they did that well with with that man. That's impressive, and that's funny. You named the lines, and it's like, yeah, Iggy would, but it, you'd have to have him in a weird spot. Krejci wouldn't. Everyone else can go here. <laughs> I don't know who he's going to so find I, at the end of this story. So I lined up. We're at center ice, and Iggy was the right winger, and I'm left. I had pictures of Iggy on my wall as a kid here. Like I loved him. So like I did the old like put my stick on top of his. He like pulled it under. <laughs> so I do it again. I do it a third time. He backs out and goes, "Kid, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "I got to get something going here." He's like, "Look around. There's like four other guys you can ask. <laughs> then come back and talk to me." Yeah, He's like, "Go ask them." That's and I'm Iggy like, "Iggy, I'm sorry, man. That's I'm like, I'm sorry, man." Yeah. Oh, so wow. yeah, I just I. I just wanted a piece of somebody and uh, 
I remember, yeah, Luch, uh, we, I played with Andrew Ference, and Luch talked to Andrew Ference after the game, and he asked Fair, he's like, who was that kid? What the hell what was that? Like, So I just remember, uh, I remember that. That was a really cool one for me, man. Oof. You know, you retired. I don't know if kind of COVID or the young kids or whatever kind of cut her short, but bang, it was not long until you're right at the high peaks of, of the hockey media world. How did that come about? Did you always have that plan? Do you have kind of an end to that, that industry? Or what did your second career kind of, uh, how did that come about? Yeah, I was in San Diego March of 2020. We were playing in Tucson uh, when we got the news that the league had pretty much shut down or they were going to shut down the league. So I went back home to Toronto. You know what? I was on my last legs anyway. Mentally, physically, I, I was run down. It was my 11th year. I had been thinking that year I'd played six out of 57 games. I was like, you know what? If this is the end, then let's just try to have some fun here. And I just kind of took that as a sign. Uh, went through some major struggles during pandemic, to be honest, didn't have a clue what I wanted to do, whether it be coaching or this or that. And I was actually just living at my, my cottage a couple hours North of Toronto and Perry sound. And I got a call and it said Sportsnet, like below it. And, uh, it was, uh, the president of hockey and he, he, um, asked me if I wanted to come back to town and do a couple Euler regional games from the studio in Toronto with Gene Principe, um, Basically, just do some pregame coverage, do some intermissions. He said, let's try you out for two games. We'll see if you like it. We'll see if you're any good at it. And honestly, man, that was about a year and a half ago now, a year and three quarters. Um, two Euler regional games led to led to four, led to doing some other stuff. And then I was on Hockey Central. And, uh, you know, starting next week, I'm doing Monday night hockey, so I'll be on four nights a week. Uh, it, it happened really fast. I, I kind of just grew into it. I... The camera thing, like it's, I don't know, it's, it, to me, it was tough at first, but I I'm enjoying like live TV now. I, I barely notice that's there anymore. It's still challenging, but I just, I, I really like made the point of just like, try to be yourself. And like, I'm not saying I don't prepare that much. I prepare a ton watching games, but I also just try to tell it like it is. And, um, they've enjoyed my work and I've, I've really enjoyed it, man. Honestly, most nights, like I'm going in there tonight, we'll do hockey central before the Oilers game. And then we sit in this green room with like 10 TVs and I, we watch hockey and it's mic'd up and tell the producers what I see. And then I get to go back in the studio and talk about it. Like it's pretty sick gig. I keep thinking it's about that. Good to see a guy like um, you on there. You speak well and you, you got good, good takes on everything. So it's nice to see a guy like, uh, you know, I think you're pretty much exactly me as far as uh, career wise and everything else, just maybe three, four years behind, but to see you come in with the same take, same mindset that I have and you speak well, my buddies out West uh, like to hear you on there, a guy with some knowledge and a good perspective. So it's good to see you out there, man. You're doing great. And not only that, we get to point at the TVs to our kids who are playing minor. I'd be like, that guy beat up Luch. That guy, that in the suit, dad? That guy, yeah, yeah, that happened. That's yeah, that skinny happening. guy in the nice custom tailored three-piece suit. Um, <laughs> no, but honestly, man, it's a fun gig. Uh, and then I started a pod this summer just because I wanted to try something different. I had so much off time in the summer i'm like you know let's get some former teammates and build a little studio and that's kind of taken off too so i'm 16 episodes into that and just kind of growing that episode at a time so to be honest rosie when i was playing i didn't love the media i when they were in the dressing rooms after and stuff i i, I didn't love all the questions and the twitter and all that uh didn't think i was going to be a part a huge part of it i thought i might lean more into the coaching side but i've really enjoyed it man and just try to keep it real and and be as organic on there as possible uh, give a plug to the pod. What's it called? Where do you find it? And uh, any any shows you want to promo coming up? 
Uh, Mitt's off with Luke Gazdick. Uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, we have our own Instagram, Twitter, and we do a lot of short form content on TikTok. The TikTok's huge for whoever's into that. And yeah, you can find them all through my personal socials. We're, uh, I don't want to say a bit of a hiatus right now, but we just have a couple really cool things coming up that we're planning for. Uh, but the last one was with um, a kid named Brady Leavold, who was a Tampa Bay prospect who went from uh, NHL camp to homeless and in jail in the span of three years. And now he's running Muskoka Skills Hockey up here in Ontario and uh, travels travels Canada doing motivational speaking to, uh, to a lot of junior kids. So uh, we sat down and talked unfiltered for about 45 minutes and it's an incredible he, he's an incredible dude and and his vulnerability is pretty cool and I, I i enjoyed it that's our last episode on youtube awesome uh last one from me and i think it's just sort of bigger picture stuff like you got to see the beginning of the mcdavid era you mentioned rexall that's the old rink so you would have been in part of that transition from old to new to the arrival of connor is this a group that, and I know you watch them a bunch, you're doing the regional stuff for them. Like, do you see this more as like, it's inevitable or like, oh my God, there's only two years left with those guys under contract. Like where are you at on them? There's clearly enough to get it done, but you could also say there's enough that hasn't gone right that poof, maybe this all unfolds. Like this is a wild uh, playoff and season coming up the last year of Leon next year. Yeah, uh, honestly, I'm on the side. I know I'm a little biased because I play there and I cover them, but I, I think this thing's inevitable. He's just too good not to win. This guy can win games by himself. And I understand the playoffs are a different animal. You got to win four rounds of that. But I go back to last year. Stuart Skinner got pulled three out of the five games versus Vegas. If they even get average goaltending this year, they will have a shot at the cup. And I think Skinny's looked better and better. They're flawed still. They're not perfect. They need a couple pieces, maybe a little more size and depth uh, up the middle, maybe add a defenseman. But Connor is honestly just that good and have Leon going and buzzing as well and Hyman playing the way he is. I, I just think it's an inevitable. And as long as they can keep the puck out of their net, I think they're going to have a really good shot in this next year or possibly next year to, to be hoisting that cup. Thanks for joining us, man. It's been really cool to catch up and uh, all the best moving forward. We, we're we in the region. We see you uh, four nights a week. We love it. Awesome, guys. No, thanks for having me and uh, no hard feelings, Rosie. Hey, I appreciate oh. that. I, uh, <laughs> I'm sad you had to carry that around for so long, but it was not intentional. And uh, Jesus, that makes me feel like I should have done even better knowing that you had one arm. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Anyway, uh, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate, appreciate it. See you later, Luke. Thanks. See, everyone loves a happy ending, Rosie. <laughs> That's great stuff. Right? I heard he had a bone to pick with me, and I was like, what could that be? I'm trying to think about how our scrap started. And then I did know, like, when he left, I'm like, well, he seemed like he was hurt after, but I didn't do anything, like, cheap to hurt him or to Yeah, you literally said, shoulder. where did that happen? <laughs> oh, good. Mm. Good man, though. Good guy. He's a good dude. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I remember seeing him early on. He was a Dallas draft pick and was in Austin where the Texas Stars played their yeah. affiliate. And Sick place. Big Oh, dude. Yeah. Did you? And then he finished in San Diego. Like, I know yeah. that it's I was tough going spring, down. Playing in Springfield, Massachusetts. Austin. I, I covered the East Coast. He got the West. Yeah. Well, you got some of the old uh, Iron Lung teams where, like, <laughs> you know, ride the bus around. He got the, we're flying a lot of places. We yeah. got sun. They got the beaches in San Diego. Austin, I think, is the biggest campus in the States. Oh, and their UT. bar is beautiful. That's an Great underrated strip place. if you like to grab Oof. a beverage. Those are two good cities to plan. I, sure. Probably different coming down than going up. Yeah. Both you'd be itchy. Like you really want to get up when you're drafted. Like I Austin's cool, but man, I got to get to Dallas. Oh yeah. And then coming down, I was like, ah oh, man, am I done? But San Diego's means... great, but am I done? Like, what am I doing? Oh man, it's the worst. I mean, I've been called up and sent down a bunch of times and 
oddly enough, it's when you don't expect it. It's always when you flew family in, flew your girlfriend in. Uh, I remember my brother had just flown in. I bring him to the uh, to the MasterCard Center at the time in Etobicoke in yeah. Toronto. We go for a practice. I'm showing him everything. The place is incredible. You know, this guy's making us some breakfast, and then we have some lunch after, and we're talking about what we're going to go do downtown. And then just the old, hey, boys want to see you upstairs. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And he's like, oh, is that normal? I'm like, no. And I cruise upstairs. They're like, hey, we're going to move. We're going to send you down and blah, blah, blah. You got to get on a plane or a fucking bus right now and go down. And like, I just, the life just gets sucked out of you. I go, I give my brother the, like, let's go. And we leave, get in the car. And I'm like, I'm sent down. And then he's like, why? I'm like, what do you mean why? No reason why. Just because that's what they're fucking doing. Like, they don't tell me why. And I'm like, I got to go to who knows where I got to get on a bus right now. Rochester, you know. Oh, and he's like, well, fuck. I'm like, I don't know what's fly you back home i don't know like brutal that happened when my girlfriend visited my parents visited it's just the worst man and then it happened on the other side they're coming to visit me while i'm playing in the minors and then you get called up you're like see ya like going up and they're like okay well i'll either watch the game here or fly home and try to catch it or should we fly and follow you and that's a little better yeah (laughs) you bet but both it's just a a yo-yo man being in that uh being in that business being a bubble guy at certain times Gazik was great. That was awesome. We do have to get back to old man yelling at clouds, though. Right. The Americans won uh, the World Junior Gold. They're first in a while, but uh, second in five years, I want to say. Canadians got eliminated in the quarterfinal. Sweden was the host there in the final. Did you pay attention? What did you hear? What was your reaction? This was a very, very unorthodox gold medal game. Close, but then out of hand. And a lot of time from when it was like, they're winning to like, oh, the final buzzer. And another goal. And like the Americans are a hell of a team. And I think that this is a burgeoning hockey power. Like if you told me the world cup of hockey was right now, I think if you went to sports books, the Americans might be co-favorites or favorites. That's, that's a big change from where that country has been over the course of my life in my forties. It's always been Canada's number one. Who's number two in terms of like the power, the numbers, the percentage of players in the league, how you'd handicap a best on best. I think that's changed big time. But I also didn't really like how they went about it. Uh, that taunting a home crowd at the World Juniors is is that's that's a vibe I don't know I can get behind. Yeah, it's funny. Like uh, like you said, they're a powerhouse. I think that U.S. National Development Team has just been you know fantastic. Like, but it's like what we were talking about earlier. This new era of player. I mean, if we know they're good, they want to prove they're good, and if they just did it with a little bit of you can be confident and everything, but they're being dickheads. They're being assholes, right? Like, look at this shit. Like, ah, oh, where do I go now? Like, he's just, he's, he's as excited to go be an asshole after he scored. He's like twisting on his edges. Like, who can I fucking talk? Here's the crowd. Where's their bench? Where's their players? Fuck you. It's just an arrogant, arrogant vibe. Americans are, always have that, that label on them. And There's a pinch more of that than there would be with other countries in some Of senses. course. And after playing down there for a long time, I thought these people are really nice. They're down to earth. They're kind. But what I realized as I got older, when they travel, they travel very <laughs> poorly. Everywhere okay. they go, they, the, if they leave America, they look around and go, what is this fucking third world country? They just, every, in America, every, we do this. <laughs> everything's a joke compared to them, but they don't know anything about any other country. So when they go, they just have this big USA, USA around them, which is fine. I love being proud of where you're from. I like the America. I like America. I like the United States. But when they act like assholes like that, like that's what I think of when I think of the American team now. 
I think of a bunch of a young, arrogant, over-celebrating, taunting assholes that no one is happy for. But if they just won with a little bit of class, a little bit of dignity, everyone would be like, God damn, were those Americans good this year? I, uh, I don't mind it. I'm not surprised. Not that they did it. I think that's, but if you really want rivalry, you need someone to play a little bit of heel. And this is mm-hmm. kind of like Hulk Hogan going NWO. Like uh. This is, it's a heel turn. It's like, no, we're, we're not going to be okay with second. We're going to be first and we're going to be obnoxious and loud and let you know about it. Canada and Sweden. And if you're back allowed in the sandbox anytime soon, Russia, and uh, we'll choose the terms that we celebrate on. And it's not the way that I would want my kids to behave. Mm, so that's my point. And I'm with you on that. But I think this is going to be absolutely epic for the sport because I think we are entering a golden era for a rivalry we really haven't had a lot of. Canada-USA, I think we will be looking at the next five to ten years as one of the greatest rivalries in hockey. Because you could just never really say that about Canada-USA. There's been... Okay, 2010 Olympic gold in Vancouver. Sure, World Cup in the 90s in Montreal where, what was it, a late goal from the Americans? And uh, I think it was Richter in net. Like, there's been a few, but it's never felt like Summit Series good against evil. It's never been quite as heightened as some of the other rivalries you've seen in sport. I think we could enter like an epic, epic era here with, you know, finally getting Crosby and McDavid on the same team, finally getting the likes of, like, theoretically a Pat Kane, the Kachucks, and, like, the Hugheses, the family, and Eichel on the same team. I'm excited for this, and uh, you know what? For the Americans to go out and operate like it was church, not their vibe, that's only going to make it better when other teams juice themselves up to play the Americans. Well, if you're looking for rivalries, that kind of behavior is going to make them in spades. I mean, who do they have throwing punches at the end of the gold medal game being in big scrums and everything? The Swedes, who are usually pretty peaceful dudes. like, But they had had enough. I mean, you poke the bear in it. Listen, I'm pro-Canada, obviously. If they're going to win everything, I don't want them to do it this way. I want them to dominate everyone. I want them to puff their chest up and say, see that flag? That's who you fucking bow down to. That's what I like. I don't like this blowing kisses, dodging your teammates so you can do some dickhead kind of a fucking celebration. Drives me insane, (laughs) but you're damn right. It's going to cause some some rivalries and I promise you when, and they back it up. If they're they're as good as they are and acting like that, holy, are people ever going to want to beat them more than anyone's ever wanted to beat another country? It's the, uh, it's the Ric Flair vibes, right? I wouldn't want my team behaving that way, but guess who gets to pick how they celebrate? The winners. So congrats, USA, where many of our listeners and viewers are joining yeah. us. Yeah, like I said, I love Americans. I love America. I'd like to live there half the year at some point in the future. You got fan mail from America this week. Did you see it? I did not. There's an envelope in the other room. People are sending us mail. Goodness gracious. Sometimes we'll have that... to check it for anthrax before we open it. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully there's some good, uh, there's some interesting things that come in the mail. Oh, is that right? I didn't know <laughs> yeah. that. Okay. Probably just some old. That doesn't happen to play-by-play broadcasters uh, nor loudmouths on uh, Chances are it'll be media. an old, outdated upper deck hockey card that I'll <laughs> yeah. devalue by signing. It. That sounds about right. Uh, thanks for joining us. We're going to close with our uh, fight of the week. I think it is uh, Bauer and Imama. I'm not terribly familiar. HL Tilt, let's go. It's a beauty. Belleville, Manitoba. Yes. Uh, two Canadian minor squads. Let's go. Now we've got gloves off, and here it is. Bauer and Imama at center ice. And they're going to square off here, sizing each other up. Bauer, 6'3", 207. Imama, 6'1", 185. And here they go. Bauer
Bauer with those rapid fire rights, really connecting, and Boko answering back. This Imama is a tough kid, man. I've seen him a couple of times. He's made some noise, and he's not scared. This Bauer kid, I don't know a lot about. It starts off just jackhammering. This looks like it's a fast forward, Jake. Holy Christ. And these two are still on their feet. Boko with a couple of bombs, and another one from Imama. Another connection from Boko as he'll try to pin up Bauer on the wall. They're still throwing punches. Both teams uh, enjoying what they're watching. Another big one from Boko, and neither of these guys will go down. It's an odd fight because they are tied up the whole time, but also chucking a lot. Like, usually when you go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, you kind of step back and barely have anything. But they're like, they're both almost seatbelting, but then both get their, their fair share of... Uh, of Tons of punches thrown. It's an odd-looking fight, but you know some of them landed because Bauer's visor, they cut it at the end of the video, but it's absolutely pasted in blood. That is a fight of the year candidate in the American Hockey League, to say the least. Boko Imama has been waiting. I remember scrapping, guys, and when you look up and you just see this just dark red visor, you're like, oh, he can't see anything, and he's leaking. It's kind of oh, a yeah, good you feeling. Oh, yeah, there, yeah. And then look at the irrespect of each other. We both just went balls the fuck out. Tap, tap, sure. tap. Yeah. yeah, I respect you. I like that. I was like you and Gazdick at the end of the, the interview there. Ten years later when uh, we, we sort... We I'm glad he can finally sleep after a decade. Imagine how good it'll look now. He's like, I've been holding on to this for so long. I'm not a big code guy, but like, why did you keep fighting? <laughs> as soon as he started there, I'm like, oh boy, this isn't going to be good. I'm not a big code guy, but... There we go. What have you done, Jay? Uh, send us your, your non-anthrax fan mail. We'd love to hear it. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Department of Discipline. We'll be back next week. I'm going down to the garden. With a couple of my buds, I'm gonna sit up in the cheap seats. I wanna see a little blood, I wanna get my money's worth. Eat some dogs, drink some beers. When he yell out night at the referee, go on, you bum, get out of here. Wanna see a hockey fight, little Donny Brook, little Brew Ha Ha. If our team should score tonight, we all can yell hurrah, hurrah. I didn't come to see Gretzky. I didn't come to see Lemieux or any of those other pretty boys and all that fancy stuff to do. It came to see the Hanson brothers. Take on Dave the Hammer Schultz, drop their gloves, do the tango, and beat each other to a bloody pulp. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.